Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me to, if you would, to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, and let's read the passage we looked at last week. Well, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah, three weeks ago, yeah. Proverbs 29, and let's look at verse number 18. There's some things that that I want to talk about tonight in connection with this and go a little further. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no revelation... The margin of my Bible, there's a mark, there's a number there after the, on, at the word revelation. And in the margin, it says, where there is no prophetic vision. If, you'll be, if, you're, if you remember, if you have the older King James, that's what it says, where there is no vision. It says, where there is no revelation or, or vision, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now, uh, I talked last week about uh, the importance of the vision of the local church and how that all of us, uh, as, as a result of being a part of this church, God has, uh, has assigned the church vision to each one of us. We all, it's not just the pastor's vision and it's not just everybody else's vision. Each person is brought into this and made a part of this vision. And, uh, and so I want to, first of all, re- reiterate some of the things that I said last week because, you know, there's always... Uh, the enemy always tries to sow uh, seeds of misinterpretation and so forth anytime a preacher preaches to try to get people to think that something was said that wasn't said. And, uh, and sometimes because of uh, uh, the way these truths have sometimes been ministered before, they've been abused Uh, Church people have been abused and and things have been said. So I want to say some things to make sure you understand what I'm not saying uh, about your part in the local church. I make this statement last week that every believer has a calling of God outside the local church. Every believer has a call of God outside the local church. When you were born again, you were uh, made a part of the body of Christ. You were made a part of... Of, uh, of Christ and of his body, and that means that we're all connected with the Lord and we're all connected with one another. But uh, I don't want you to, to get the idea that I'm saying that uh, everything in life is focused on the local church because that's not true. Uh, we quoted the scripture, read the scripture last week. I won't, I won't read it this, this week, but just quote it. James made this statement in James chapter 4. He said, uh, whenever you say, I'm going to go to another city, to a distant place, and I'm going to buy and sell and do different things, he said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, I will go to this city or to that place and I will buy and sell. That tells us several things. It tells us that the Lord has plans for you beyond your involvement in the local church, that the blessing of the Lord is upon your, your, your ordinary life and whatever pursuits God ha- has laid on your heart, you need to pursue those things. 
I talked about last night or last, three weeks ago about how, uh, you know, some people feel uh, compelled to start a business. Other people don't feel led to start a business, but they might want to pursue uh, some other type of, of activity. If you're young, you might be praying about whether or not to go to college or whether to join the military, whether to be married or what, you know, God, God has direction for your life. Here's what I'm saying. God has direction for your life in all of these areas. Those areas are not unimportant, they're important to God and they have a place in his will for your life. Amen? He, and and uh, this scripture tells us that we ought to put the Lord first in everything. You know, Jesus said this, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But that doesn't just apply to those who are in lead ministries. We identified three weeks ago the difference between supportive ministries and lead ministries. The lead ministries in the body of Christ are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are the lead ministries. We sometimes call them the five-fold ministry. Uh, but then there's also all of the supportive ministries in the church. Uh, the ministry of helps. You know, this week we're going to have a, 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 a celebration and, a, and an appreciation night for all all of the different people who are involved in any area of helps ministry in the church. Everybody is valuable. But it doesn't go into all the world and preach the gospel doesn't just apply to the quote-unquote preacher class. You know, those who have pulpit ministries and so forth. It, It applies to every Christian. But every Christian is not supposed to leave home and go to a foreign field. I don't do that. Occasionally I do, but primarily I just stay here. See, my world, when Jesus said go into all the world, the world that I go into is is this world right here. You might be a carpenter or a plumber or in some other uh, part of the construction trade. Your world is the world of construction. Go into all of the world of construction and preach the gospel. Share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be in education. You might be in medicine and nursing or whatever it might be. Go into those worlds and be a witness for Christ. And so God has a plan for all of us outside the church. And so I want to make sure everybody understands that, uh, that I'm not... Uh, uh, saying that, that we don't have those things. We do. Uh, but then when you were born again, you were born into the body of Christ. The very concept of the body of Christ, that, that, that whole concept of the body is based on when, when we were born again, we were joined to the Lord. We're one with him, but we're also members of one another. He's the head, we're the body. And... Really, the body of Christ is Christ. I said the body of Christ is Christ. Christ, the Lord Jesus, the person, the individual man. You know, there's a man who ascended into heaven. He was raised from the dead. The Lord Jesus ascended into heaven and and he is seated at the Father's right hand. That individual man is in heaven. But the term Christ is a designation. He was Jesus the Christ. When he was here on the earth, he was the only Christ. The word Christ means the anointed one. It's the exact uh, parallel or the exact same thing as the Old Testament Messiah. The word Messiah means the Christ. That's an Old Testament concept. New Testament, the word is Christ. And uh, they both mean the the anointed one. Well, when he was here, he was Jesus, the anointed one. But when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven, 
When people started believing on him and started being born again, they were joined to him and all of those people, one by one by one, right up to the day, the untold, <coughs> untold millions of believers have all been joined to Christ and now Christ is no longer just one person. Christ is his body. Christ is, is the church. <coughs> church is the Christ. Jesus is the head. We're the body. Well, that idea of the body of Christ uh, has, its, has its foundation as much on the fact that we're joined to one another as it is we're joined to Christ. We're equally joined to one another as we are to Christ. Isn't that right? Well, when you were born again, you were joined to Christ, but then the Lord has ordained local churches. And the Lord will put a person whether he's a, a, a doctor or an attorney or the trash man or a teacher or, uh, you know, uh, an economist or a, an investor, whatever that person's natural life in, in, involves, he has a will for that person in their natural life, but he also puts them in a church and he gives the church a vision. He gives the pastor the vision of the church. And as, as, as much as we are united to one another in the local church, we're united around that vision. And so our natural lives should not be our only pursuit. We should also pursue our church life. Now, just to make sure, like I said, that people don't misunderstand because I, these things have been abused. I've been around a long time. I've seen a lot of false teaching come through the body of Christ. And some pastors would have you think that, you know, your, 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 your life outside the church is nothing. It's meaningless. You're subservient to the church every day. You know, anytime the pastor calls, you know, you drop what you're doing and, and just do what the pastor wants or what some other person in the church wants. That's out of balance. I'm not talking about that. We have a life and a ministry and a calling and a will of God outside the church, but we have one in the church as well. And when we're joined to, the, to a local church, God intends for us to take up the vision of that church. Amen? We talked about uh, this verse of Scripture, and, and I mentioned a number of different translations there where it says, uh, where there is no prophetic uh, revelation, the people cast off restraint, a number of different, uh, uh, literally that means they throw off or let loose. To, to, to translate it uh, literally, it would say, where there is no revelation, the people let loose or, or they throw off. Uh, so several different translations translate it, cast off restraint, uh, Moffat translation says, where there is no revela re revelation or no vision, they break loose. Another translation, the lesser translation says they become unruly. The Beck translation says they run wild. Uh, NAB says they become demoralized. Uh, the basic Bible uh, translation says they're uncontrolled. Uh, uh, the English version uh, says that they are without order. So when you put all these ideas together, these different translations, I put them together to make sort of an expanded paraphrase of this verse. And it could read like this if you bring all these thoughts together. Where there is no vi vi vision, excuse me, where there is no vision, no revelation of the plan and purpose of God for a people, they break loose cast off restraint, and become unbridled. They become unruly, begin to run wild. They are uncontrolled and out of order, and having ceased to do anything productive for God, they eventually become demoralized and perish. All of those ideas are in this, is in this scripture. Uh, we talked last time about the image of a team of horses 
that are all harnessed together and going in one direction. And so the idea is if one horse of a team that's harnessed together, if one of the horses breaks loose from that harness and begins to to run off somewhere else, that horse begins to run wild. Uh, And so that's the idea of, of a local church. The vision that God gives the pastor in a local church is like the harness that holds everybody together. We have that harness that 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 uh, team of horses are uh, connected to, and that are upon those that team of horses keeps them together, so that all of their energy is spent in the same direction. It helps them all pull the load, all all sharing equally the load, and they're all going in one direction, and they're taking that that cargo, whatever it might be, from point A to point B. That's their mission in life. Well, the vision of the local church needs to be carried forward. It has to be, it has to be brought from where it is to where it needs to be. God is taking us somewhere. Well, in order for us as a local church to get somewhere, all of the horses, so to speak, all of the team has to be harnessed together and everybody pulling together. But he said that people who, uh, who have not a vision, do not have a vision, are like someone that has broken free from the harness. And we gave the imagery of the horse, you know, up in the, in the mountains. You know, he breaks loose from his harness and he begins to run, you know, wild into the wilderness. And, and uh, uh, for a period of time, he feels like he's free. I mean, he feels this exhilaration that, oh boy, I'm finally free, you know, from that, from that, the bondage of that harness. What he doesn't realize is it's going to cost him dearly. Being out on his own, of course, he's, he's now uh, a perfect prey because the lions that are live up in the mountains, you know, they're not going to sneak down into the camp at night and attack one of the horses that are there, you know, by the fire under the watchful care of the wagon master, you know, and, and everything. And those horses are being groomed, they're being fed, they're being watered, they're being taken care of and comforted. But that that wild uh, 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 that horse that broke free, at first he felt this exhilaration, but now he's all alone in the wilderness. He, he, he's not going to eat well in the wilderness. He's going to have to scavenge for his food. He's not going to. He's going to go days without water. He's going to be cold. He's not going to. He's not going to be combed. He's not going to be cared for. Uh, 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 he's going to be cold. Whatever. The, whatever the elements dish out. Whatever the environment pours out on him. He's just. You know. He doesn't have a place to go of safety. He's not kept anywhere. He's just out there. Uh, so, so whatever the, the uh, natural conditions uh, dish out, he's just at its mercy. Well, Christians are like that when they get outside of the vision of the local church. And there are so many Christians in the world who live that way. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about this tonight, a little bit more about why that, why that is that way. There's, like I said, there are so many Christians that live their lives just kind of running wild. And... On the surface, they'll tell you, oh, this is the best way to live. You know, I'm not under bondage to anything. I just go and do what I please. Really, they're under the worst kind of bondage there is. They're under the bondage of their flesh because they're totally dictated by their flesh. I talked last week about uh, how uh, uh, we, learn, we learn to walk in love in the local church. Amen. That's why God, that's one of the reasons, there are many reasons, but one of the reasons he puts us together as a team like this is so that all of us will grow spiritually. 
The local church is the great laboratory. It's where all of the Christian graces are, are introduced and, and uh, developed and, and strengthened in our lives. The reason Paula can walk in love like she does with somebody on the job is because she hears about it in church. She hears the preacher talking about the importance of, of, of walking in love. Steve Green, uh, 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 Wednesday night before last, two weeks ago, when, uh, two weeks ago, he talked about the importance of walking in love. At a local church, you're reminded of these things. In the local church, you have opportunities to practice these things because there's always somebody in the local church that's gonna give you grief. You know, not intentionally, but that's because we're people, you know. So, uh, living and, and operating and functioning in the local church is God's plan to care for us and to nurture us and to minister to us, amen? And, uh, and so uh, with that in mind, I wanna look at another passage of scripture. Go with me over to Ephesians chapter, before we go to Ephesians, go to 1 Corinthians chapter three. 1 Corinthians chapter three. 1 Corinthians chapter three. I want to sort of tie this in with a concept we've been looking at lately. Uh, about the temple of God, the house of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse number 5, Paul said, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, now everybody take note of that word planted. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who, he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now we are God's fellow workers. He's talking about uh, himself and Apollos. He said, we are God's fellow workers. Then he says, you are God's field. Another translation says you are God's garden. You are God's cultivated field. You are God's planting field. So he says you are God's field and Apollos and, and myself, he's saying, Paul's saying it would, it would uh, apply to any other minister. He said we're fellow workers in this field, but you are the field of God and, and one plants and another waters. Then right in the middle of verse number nine, he changes uh, the, the picture or the illustration from a field to a house. For, because in, numbers, in verse number uh, nine, he says, we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. Then he says, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Apollos was building on the foundation that the apostle Paul laid. He said, uh, but let each one take heed how he builds on it for no other foundation. Notice he's talking now about a building. He's using building terms. Building, builders, foundation. He said, for no other foundation can anyone lay than what that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, he's talking about other preachers. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built 
on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? I could say you are the, the building of God. The temple of God was the building of God. That's the building he's talking about. He's saying, first of all, the church, the church is a field and he and Apollos were the fellow workers in that field, planting and watering. Then he switches the, the picture and he says, you are God's building and we are, I'm a master builder. I laid the foundation. Another builds on it, Apollos or other traveling ministers. And so ministers then build on the building. The church is the building. The building of God is the temple of God. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and, the, and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Now go with me with that in mind over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, I think maybe we looked at this Sunday night. I'm not sure if we did. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built. So we're back to that same uh, illustration. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 21 is talking about the whole body of Christ, what we call the universal body of Christ, where it says in whom the whole building, those three words, the whole building, in the original Greek, that it literally, it literally reads every building. So we could read it that way. In whom every building being fitted together the American Standard uh, Translation says each several building. So read it that way. In whom each several building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. See, each local church is a building, but then there's one building of God, the universal church. And, and all of the local churches built together into that one building. Then in verse 22, he says, in whom you also He's talking now directly to them as the local church in Ephesus. In verse 21, he's talking about each several building, and that would, that would be the, the local churches in Ephesus and Smyrna and Antioch and Jerusalem and, 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 and Thessalonica and all the different places. Then he brings it home. He says, in whom you also, Ephesians, are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So again, we see the local church is the building of God that is being, that is being built together for a dwelling place of the, uh, of the Spirit of God. So is the universal church. Now with that uh, thought, go over to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, we'll see it again. Verse number 6, But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. So again, you see the church, and he's talking about the universal church here. We are the house of God. Now go over with me to 1 Peter, and I'm fairly sure we looked at this verse Sunday night, chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 5 says, You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
So you see again in this passage, we have the church presented as a building, a spiritual building, a spiritual house. And uh, he identifies us each as living stones. We're all living stones in this house. Now, what is our relationship to as living stones in this, look at this passage. In this passage, what is our, our purpose in the local church? What is, our, what is our purpose as living stones? To do what? Somebody speak where I can hear them. Huh? Well, look at this verse. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual household, a holy priesthood to do what? to offer up spiritual sacrifices. I mean, there are a lot of other things you could say, but that's why I identified this verse. In this verse, he's saying that as living stones, each one of us have a relationship to the church and our purpose is to offer up spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God. Uh, And we talked about this uh, Sunday night. What makes our, our spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God? Unity. Worshiping in the Lord, worshiping the Lord in one accord is what makes our spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Him. And as I mentioned Sunday, uh, just not just not being in strife doesn't constitute unity. Just because you're not fighting with somebody, or you're not on the outs with somebody, or you're not uh, gossiping about somebody in the church. Just the absence of those things doesn't mean you're in one accord. See, one accord, being in one accord and unity is is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. It's a deliberate thing. In other words, let me say it like this. Being in one accord is something we do. It's it's an attitude of the heart, but but it's it's, uh, identified by what we do and how we behave and how what we do. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to offer up spiritual sacrifices in one accord. See, being in one accord, uh, like I said, does not just mean that you're not fighting with somebody. Coming to church, now listen, we're all human, including yours truly, okay? The preachers don't have any special gift to live the principles of the word of God, have a gift to present it, to teach it, but I don't have any special gift to live it. I have to live it down in the trenches just like you do. I know what it's like to come in church and lift my hands and my thoughts and my, and my mind is on something completely else. It's not even related to worship or even the church. I might be thinking about something that happened or something I'm gonna do tomorrow. I'm not in unity when I do that. That's not one accord. I said, I've been there. I know that. I know what it's, so I'm not talking to anybody else other than, you know, I'm not talking to anybody, uh, you know, I'm talking to myself as much as anybody else, not just, to, just pointing somebody else out. What I'm saying is being in one accord is coming in and purposely, deliberately entering in and, and, and see, we're living stones. We're not dumb stones. We're not just dumb rocks. As living stones, we have the opportunity to give our consent to this worship, to give consent to the unity of the church. We also have the option of not consenting. 
to let other things enter in. Being, being, uh, having your own idea about how, you know, the service ought to go. I just, I don't know why Brother Steve sings that song. He sings that song every night. Every time we come to church, he just loves that song and I can't stand it. And I don't know why, I don't know why, you know, uh, so-and-so plays the keyboard and somebody else plays just as good. See, those kinds of things, that's not, that's not being in one accord. There, there are people who make those decisions and, and if you're not the person that's been assigned that decision, just leave it to the person that has been. Or else you get out of unity. See those little things. Unity and one accord is something that's deliberate. It's something that we give our consent to. You see that? Well, what would be if, if offering up worship in one accord is the reason we've been made part of the building of God? What would be the purpose of us being a part of the field of God? God's garden. What would be what would be our relationship to the to the garden? We're, we're, we're made spiritual stones, living stones, and we by our consent we offer up spiritual sacrifices in one accord. But we're also God's garden. The lo- this, this local church right here is a planting. It's a planting of the Lord. Well, what would be your uh, react? What would be your response to being part of this planting? Well, first of all, it would to be planted. It would be to be planted. When, when I put some plants in a few years ago, I put some shrubs in at my house along the fence and they're called viburnums. And I have them on the back of my property and then I added them down the side and I put in, I've done this at several different stages and so I put in several years ago uh, four or five, maybe, maybe 10, I don't remember, on the uh, west side of my property from the back corner just up a little ways, you know, up the, up the property line. And when I put them in, some of them grew, just took off, just healthy from the get-go, just started growing, you know, new leaves and branches, you know. And there, there were two or three others that just, they didn't do anything. They just sat in the ground and just didn't do a thing. And I fertilized them just like I fertilized the others. I watered them just as much as the others. The leaves were pale. They just, it just, they did not flourish. And so I, I, I called Captain Kirby. You know, he used to run a, he used to have a tree farm. And so he knows all about trees and plantings and stuff. And I said, Captain Kirby, would you come over to my house and, and look at these plants? They're just, they're not growing. I'd had these things in the ground, I think, three or four years at the time. I'd fertilized them, I'd watered. They were alive, but they just were, they were not much bigger than they were when I put them in the ground. And the others were twice as big. So he came out, he walked up to the first plant and he, and he grabbed the plant because it hadn't grown very much, you know, and it was about this tall. And, and you know, he reached into the, some kind of the, the big branches, you know, the, of, of, the, of the, you know, tree stalk, you know, and he shook it, like just shook it. And I look at when he did the ground, you know, when I bought the plant, I think they were seven gallons. So seven gallon pots about like this, I think. 
Is that right? Is that about a seven-gallon pot? So I dug a hole about this big around, put it in the ground, watered it all in. Three, I know it had been at least three years, maybe four years. When he shook that thing, the, that circle that, that had been leafed over, weeds were growing up in it, you couldn't see it. It's like it hadn't, nothing had happened. When he shook it, that, that whole b- ball that I put in the ground still moved. Just like this, he rocked about. He said, "That's your fault." He said, "That's your problem right there." He said, "When you put it in the ground, it was root bound." Now, a, a, a tree or a shrub or a plant that's root bound, you know, the roots are supposed to most of the time go out like this, spread out in every direction. But if they stay in a pot too long in the nursery, they'll go down, they'll hit the side of that pot, and they'll turn and they'll start corkscrewing. They'll start growing in a corkscrew effect, and That'll get established. And when you take that thing out of the ground, I didn't know. I just took it out of the bucket. It had dirt around it. I didn't look at it, you know, and identify it. When I put it in the ground, that root pattern of corkscrew had been established and it just continued to just, really, it didn't go down much further. The, 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 the roots got a little bit bigger, but they didn't branch out in any direction. They're just circular. So when he grabbed that plant and rocked it, you could see in the ground that circle where I had planted it three or four years ago. He just rocked back and forth. If, if he'd been strong enough, he could have just picked the thing up out of the ground. I planted it, but it didn't root. It didn't root. And uh, he said, well, he said, you'll either have to replace it. He said, try this first, though. He said, get a real sharp blade. He didn't have time. He was going someplace else today. He said, get a real sharp shovel or a, they make tools that are especially for this. I just got a kind of a narrow shovel, real kind of real stocky, sharp shovel. I don't know what it's called. And he said, go around the edges of this and just chop this thing in the ground. He said, you've got to cut those roots, break them loose and cut them. You can't cut all of them because it'll die. But he said, you'll cut enough of them and where you cut them, they'll begin to branch out. He said, you're gonna have to cut those things. So I did that after he left, you know, a few days later, I got out there, I got me this, you know, shovel, little narrow shovel, real stout, you know, stout shovel, sharpened it up real good. And I just went around, you know, and, and, and cut that. You know what? Those trees started growing. Those bushes started flourishing. They started putting out branches and leaves and, and you can walk up there now, you can't move them. It took a few years, but something had to be done because they weren't rooting. Well, we're living stones in this house. God put us here as living stones. You can be a living stone, you can contribute, or you can just be a dead rock. You can just be a bump on the log. You can. You can just come to church and and not really flourish because you don't, You're not in one accord. You can also, God can plant you someplace, but you can can not plant yourself. You know, it's not all God's part, it's partly our part. He puts us somewhere, but we have to reciprocate. We have to say, yeah, I'm gonna put down roots. A lot of people come to a local church for years and they never really put down roots. They really never connect with the vision. They never really connect with other people. And, you know, we do 
what we can and, and we could, we could, anybody could do better, but we, we make the effort. Maybe it's not perfect, but all of us here, we make the effort to try to connect with new people. But, the, but other people, you know, the new people, they have to connect. There's some effort involved. We're not just dumb rocks and we're not just dumb plants. You know, we have a choice whether or not we root in a church, whether we make connection to that church. And so what God, God wants us to do is he wants, he expects us to make roots in the church where he plants us and plant ourselves there. And when you're planted, then you're not, you're not number one, you get better nu- nutrients. I was fertilizing those, those, uh, those other trees, the weak trees, I was fertilizing them on the same schedule, the same fertilizer. They were getting exactly the same fertilizer as the ones that took off and grew. They were on the same sprinkler uh, drip you know, schedule. They were on the same line. They were getting the same amount of water. They were getting the same amount of sunshine. They were right down you know, beside each other. Everything was the same except the root system. Well, as, as members of a local church, Plant yourself. Plant yourself. How do you do that? Don't just sit in church. It's not, it's not so much uh, you have to do this or you do that. It's more than anything else. It's an attitude of the heart. This is my church. God placed me here. Take the vision that God has given the church. And, and if you've never th- done this, go home and say, I, get before the Lord and say, Lord, you planted me here for a reason. I'm going to adopt that, the vision of this church. I'm, I, I look at, at uh, Calvin and Sue over here. As soon as they came to our church, they did that. You could see it all over them. You just talk to them. You just say, they're just excited about this church and they just love this church and they're here all the time. And they, they, they made themselves a part. Their others have too. I just, they came to my mind because I glanced over there. Other people have done the same thing. But they, they made themselves a part. They're here. They're not just here physically. It's, it's a decision they made. It's an attitude of heart. They're not critical. And I'm not trying to justify any, any, any decisions or anything like that. That's not my point. My point is it's not a critical spirit. It's not a fault-finding spirit. It's, it's, a, it's a harmonious spirit. It's a spirit of, of one accord where I'm going to enter in. I'm go- this is my church, and I'm going to love it, and I'm going to receive from the pastor, and I'm going to receive from who else is ministering, whether it's Brother Green on a Wednesday night or Miss Amy or Pastor Angela or Brother Steve or Pastor Greg, whoever it might be. I'm going to receive the word of the Lord. When you do that, you plant yourself. Like I said, I've, I've known of people over the years that, you know, they just kind of, come to church for, for sometime for several years. Those people, people who don't get planted get uprooted. And a lot of times it's not the will of God. 
Listen, you've heard me say this many times. I'm going to say it again. I'm not saying and I do not believe that when you join a local church and God puts you here, that's the end of it for the rest of your life. I don't believe that. God put me in a local church and then he moved me. When I went into full-time ministry, I had to leave that church. I understand those things happen. But ordinarily, for most people, that's not the case. And when God puts you in a church, it's, it's his plan that you plant. He plants you there, but you have to plant yourself too. That's how you, you have to put down roots by your own uh, purpose, uh, investment in the church, in your, with your heart, with your, with, with your agreement and so forth. If you don't do that, something will come along and uproot you. And many times it, 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 these are things that shouldn't uproot. If we, if we had all the people that have ever been to our church, and I don't mean just visiting, I mean being members of our church. If we, all, if we had everybody here, we, this building wouldn't be able to hold, I mean it would be several times over the capacity of, the, of this building. And not everybody's in this category, but a lot of people have come through this church that God put them here. It was the will of God for them to be here, but they didn't plant themselves sufficiently. And when opposition came or something came, they were able to be uprooted and it wasn't the will of God. Well, is it important to be where God plants you? It is. Can God never bless you again? Of course, he can bless you again somewhere else if you'll get your you know, knucklehead straightened out. But what I've seen, it's been my experience that people that do that, they repeat that problem, that's that, that mistake over and over and over. I know of people that have been in church after church after church and, and for no good reason. I mean in the same community. Not, not being that they got moved across the country but a job or something, but in the same community, they just go from church to church and, and they never get planted. It's, a, it's, it's really a problem with their heart. The, the problem's not with the churches. There's a lot of good churches in the area. But when God plants you someplace, he intends for you to stay there and flourish. Amen. Well, I intended to read this scripture, so we'll just read it, and then it'll be the end tonight. I was going to talk more about it. Go to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. It just takes me a while to get there. Psalm 92. Verse number, uh, verse, we'll start in verse number 12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. See, God wants you to flourish. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Ooh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Does that sound like something you'd be interested in? Amen. That's spiritual flourishing. That means you're doing well. That means you're growing strong in God. That means you're a, you're, you're a powerhouse for God. But notice verse 13. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord, notice Paul identified the church as the house and the field. We're living stones in the house. We're plantings in the field. He said those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. See, we're, we're living stones and, and we have a, a, a ministry of worship in one accord, but we've also been planted. We're God's planting in this house 
And those who are planted shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and, and flourishing. God wants us to flourish spiritually. The margin of my Bible there where it says they shall be fresh, the, the margin says that it literally means fat. They shall be fat or, or, or they shall be full of oil or sap. I'm looking for sappy believers, oily believers. He said they'll be full of oil or sap. And he says that, that they will be uh, oily and sappy and green, flourishing. See, that's what was not happening with those bushes of mine, those shrubs. They weren't flourishing. They weren't green. They weren't thriving. But when I did something to the root, it, it, and I broke off some of that, some of that, that uh, corking, you know, corkscrew type growth, when I cut all of that off, it enabled it fresh life to come and it started branching out in different directions and it was enough to anchor that, that, those shrubs in the ground. Listen, if you, if you found yourself in the church and you don't feel connected, you just don't feel like you belong, you just kind of, listen, do something about it. Do something. Only you, God planted you here, but what happens to you and whether you root or not is up to you. It's not up to God. It's up to you. You can get before the Lord and you can say, listen, I, I want to I wanna be planted in this church. I want this church, I, I want to be everything you want me to be. Start making some commitments to the Lord concerning your church. Mean it from your heart. Don't be somebody that can just be bumped around and, 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 and knocked out of your place. People that get knocked out of their place, they miss blessings that would have come had they stayed in their place. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.